I've had to do for myself what I've helped other founders do, which is build a more scalable business. And that involves putting in processes. It means being able to articulate your value. It means articulating that value to your team and to your staff so that they can articulate the value when they're talking to clients. Welcome to Long-Term Thinking for Business Success a show for and by business owners. Each episode will explore how to beat the odds and create a sustainable business and the life we've dreamt of. Today's guest is Michelle Cavello, the founder of Lantern Partners, a virtual CFO firm. Lantern Partners works with CEOs of startups and scale-ups. Michelle founded the firm to help build Australia's entrepreneurial economy by empowering fast-growing businesses to excel. Lantern Partners has approximately 80% female members and everyone works flexibly both in terms of time and location. This is an approach Michelle started before COVID and something we'll explore in quite a lot of detail in today's discussion. Michelle has been named one of the top 50 women in accounting and top 50 small business leaders. She's passionate about using her voice and her stories to support women in industry. And I look forward to exploring and listening to some of those stories today. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the Long-Term Thinking for Business Success podcast. And thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. Great. I must say, it's a bit of a pleasure for me to meet another business owner whose business is based on providing fractional or part-time skills to a Mm -hmm. client's business. And as we've discussed previously, my firm, Inside Out Group, provides marketing expertise and a very similar approach to your CFO services. And I'm sure we'll get into that in more detail. But I'd actually like to jump back all the way to 12 years ago when you started the business when you first considered the business, what was the change you wanted to make? Or to put that another way, what's the vision you're trying to deliver and who do you hope to help? I'll answer that in two parts. I'll answer the second bit first, who I'm trying to serve. As you said, I work with founders, CEOs of startups and scale-ups. I actually delayed starting my own firm for a really long time because the fractional outsourced virtual C-suite services. There's still a bit of education that's needed around it now. 12 years ago, it was much less well-known. The type of finance that I always did within a corporate or industry perspective was around business partnering or providing kind of analytical or commercial advice. I just couldn't work out how that worked outside of a big corporate environment. I did a little bit of that sort of building the plane as I was flying it, as I left corporate. What I realized was that small business leaders, founders are crying out for that kind of support. Yes, of course, the transactional and tax advice as you start a business is fundamentally important to get right. And when we walk into a business, if that isn't right from day one, that's one of the first things that we'll concentrate on. But where we focus is on the so what of the numbers. The what next and how do I and what should I and just making sense and telling the story behind the numbers. So that was really the vision for the business. I still can't quite believe it's been that long. Yeah, 12 years later, here we still are. Yes, it's an amazing journey. I've been in small business for, well, now 23 years. So yes, I understand as well. Again, just to think back over that arc of 12 years, what are you most proud of and why? I think there's something in terms of the longevity of the business. An awful lot of businesses start and not just fail, but kind of stop for a variety of different reasons. Part of what I do 
in my practice is coach new consultants or people trying to transition out of the corporate world into consultancy. And I see a fair amount of them go back into corporate life. So I'm really proud that I've managed to craft a career for myself that makes sense to me, but also extra proud that in doing that in creating something that I thought would serve me, I'm serving a much broader community of largely of women who are smart, ambitious, creative, driven women who, who just found that corporate life didn't work for them for a variety of different reasons. And they found a place in my firm. And I think certainly the firm is much richer for it, but I also think our clients are. Because of the similarities in our business model, I've found exactly the same thing. Many of my consultants are female and not necessarily ex-corporate, but definitely ex-marketing manager roles and have mm. moved into trying to build a life that they want for themselves mm. and realising it's actually hard to be a consultant. And our model of giving them a structure to work within and an environment for mentoring and training and team is really important to them because the hard part of being a consultant is actually winning work and then prosecuting it when you're by yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very different skill set to most of the fractional roles or kind of disciplines that are out there. Sales wasn't part of what we did in a corporate life. I have a view that we are all selling to some degree, whatever a role is within kind of a corporate world. But it's very different when you're on that cycle of having to go out and ask for work and in a way, sit yourself on that supermarket shelf and go, hi, open for business. It's a very strange thing to get used to. That's the bit that doesn't sit comfortably for a lot of new consultants. Yeah, I found when I work with somebody who's just starting in their consulting career that they thought if they hang their sign out, people will come knocking on their door, but they realise very quickly that their network can't be tapped endlessly Mm. for work. Mm. And I also do completely agree that we're all in sales. We may not be selling to a new client or a deal, but even your virtual CFOs and definitely my marketing managers, are they're selling ideas and they're selling a vision and they're selling their engagement with the client. So we're always selling in some way, shape or form. I'm always selling and negotiating with my small children at home. So <laughs> I'm constantly practicing those skills. <laughs> I note that you didn't say winning either. <laughs> no, no. About a 50-50 strike rate, I think, on a good week. That's good. Congratulations. (laughs) We've just dumped quite into a bit of detail there, but not everybody is going to understand what a virtual CFO is. So I thought, could you just explain how that works in today's business? And is this the methodology or the approach that you started the business with, or did you change the business model over time to the way it is today? So in terms of what a fractional CFO does with a business, If you broadly divide the finance discipline into the historical, and I'll include tax in that, although tax can and should be very forward-looking as well, the historical, the compliance, the kind of making sure your numbers reflect the business and they make sense, that is the transactional. And if you like backward-looking finance work, the work that we do is more forward-looking So taking the point in time at which you are now, the financials that underpin that and the operational and business metrics and processes that underpin the now and work out what that means for the future. And if you don't like that future, what you can do to change it. 
So we work with founders in startups and scale-ups. And generally, these are businesses that are founder-run that have been really successful in the first few years, but have got to that point in the business where they have realized that they can't do everything. And in fact, they've become a bit of a bottleneck to the business and have realized for a number of different reasons that the business that they have grown to now can't be the shape of the business going forward. So we help them build a scalable business from a financial perspective, but also as they change the business operationally, what impact is that having on their financials? After 12 years, you're really succinct and clear in articulating your business, but my guess is it hasn't always been like that. So how much of the service model and the the problems that you're trying to solve for your customers are what you landed on when you first ideated the business versus as you've developed the business, you've moved into the fractional model and the problems that you're trying to solve? I think a lot of it was there from the beginning, particularly around preparing businesses for sale. In my last corporate role, we bought businesses. So I knew what a big listed company was looking for, A, when they're looking to buy a business, but also what was going to happen to that business when it was bought. It was quite a natural transition to helping founders on the sell side of that process, helping them prepare the business from a health and hygiene perspective so that when they go through a transaction and what they call a due diligence process, where basically someone comes and rummages around in every little last bit of your business, that it is something that is easily presentable. In terms of ideating the business from day one, it was a very similar concept initially. But I think what I have got better at doing is articulating that to founders, articulating the value, articulating what will happen if they work with us. The other thing is for myself, as the business has grown from probably about the first half of those 12 years, being very much a solo consultant to now we're a 10-person firm with people across Australia, I've had to do for myself what I've helped other founders do, which is build a more scalable business. And that involves putting in processes. It means being able to articulate your value. It means articulating that value to your team and to your staff so that they can articulate the value when they're talking to clients. And that's become a lot more structured over, over the time. Fantastic. We'll explore some of those things later on. But just before we move off that, one of the common answers to what's helped you drive a business's growth and stability and success over a longer term is systems and processes. Given that you just mentioned that, are there anything that you found has been really impactful in enabling you to step out of the day-to-day operations and being client-facing completely to now running and leading the business? It is working out where the best use of your time is. I got admin support for the first time in the history of the business only 18 months ago. So I was doing everything myself and that became less and less productive and useful and valuable spend of time. I think before you hand anything over, you actually need to get everything out from your head and literally documenting exactly what it is that you do and how you do it and what is the specialness and the magic of what you do and how do you actually translate that into a document. And that's a really hard discipline for anyone, I think, particularly when your business has evolved over time. And I don't know about anyone else, but it feels like my business 
changes in some way on a monthly, if not weekly basis. It's never done. It's never a finished process. And I think sometimes people can get a little bit caught up with, I will get to a point where it's all done, I can document it, and then I can sail off and it will all were behind the scenes. I do think there is that constant tinkering and one, having the discipline to sit down and document it and two, having the discipline to keep revisiting it at reasonable times has been really important. And then the second thing, and this is so crucially important, is making sure you've got the right people in the right roles at the right time. And anyone that's managed to do those three things, hats off to you because it's a constant work in progress. Particularly if you have a people-based business, that is fundamentally important. I was very precious about it when I first hired my first permanent employee that they really had to embody the DNA of Lantern Partners. And so then, of course, in order to do that and hire for that, you've got to work out what exactly that is. One of the really helpful things I did so early on in my business, I'd come up with a name and I I wanted a website business card to hand out. This was, what was it, 2011-12, and we're still merrily handing out lots of business cards. I went to design a friend of mine. I was like, I just need you to do me like a logo to put on a business card and then we'll do the website. Brilliant. And to her eternal credit, she was like, no, no, that's not how that works. And she said, I need you to sit down and work out who your ideal client is, what your values are, who do you serve, who do you work for, and what do you want to put out in the world? And so I sat down with a marketing strategist before I even really had my first client and worked all of this stuff out. And I think that helped me so much. And I'm not just saying this because you're in marketing. I will say this merrily to anyone that asks me. It's one of the most important things that I did. So yeah, and I talk a lot to consultants, new consultants that I coach about this, is work out why you are doing this and who you are doing this for. We start every engagement with what's the change you want to make and who do you hope to help? And until you've articulated that change and it is a vision or a position that you and all of your team can understand and buy into, then you'll continually get unstuck. As I said earlier, I'd love to explore more about some of these issues, but in the context of it, I'm assuming your team has your consultant CFOs and some internal staff, at least an admin person in the last 18 months, if not others. And everybody works in a distributed remote fashion. You don't have anybody working in a physical office. So what I'd love to do is explore that a little bit further and really dive into how you manage that, because as we all know, especially in small businesses, where more and more we're seeing that often the hybrid model of having either admin support or basic marketing execution support with remote offshore resources. So I'd love to just get into that and to start that off, which is a good segue from where you were just talking about in terms of your vision and values. It is obviously a key responsibility for a business leader to articulate and communicate that vision and direction of the business so that everybody knows where they're going and can independently work to get there. Mm -hmm. But in your model as a distributed dynamic team, how do you ensure your team understands why Lantern Partners exists and the value you want to create for your clients? And could you share potentially some of the rituals or habits you use to keep the vision and values top of mind? I really only started getting even vaguely good at this 
about two or three years ago, which is when I really started proactively hiring within the business and for the long term, as opposed to on a needs and quite reactive basis in line with client needs. A lot of it came down to needing to build and bring that team together. And as I said, being quite precious about what we put out into the world in front of clients. Now we have a distributed team. We don't have an office. I've dabbled with offices over the last 12 years, but it's never really stuck. And I actually had, I have a conversation with my team relatively regularly when we catch up is, do you want an office? Do you want somewhere to go? And all of them are like, we either work with our clients at client offices or we work at home. We don't really want a third place to go to. Most of our team is in Sydney and, I th- and this does help. We physically get together once a quarter and we have a framework around that in that we talk about business specific things. So client updates, client issues, common issues. But then we also have a skills building session or an information session. Or last time we had a someone to come in and facilitate a sales strategy session, which was really good for the team. So they know what we're trying to do, who we're trying to attract, the activities that we are doing in order to do that. It also serves the very important function of getting everyone together in a room. I think over the last couple of years, as everybody's realized the benefits that this sort of hybrid work is giving us, that much as I know there's a lot of talk at the moment, I think we are all accepting of this hybrid nature of the world. I think it is focusing on and being really intentional about the why you get together. Yeah, I agree. Versus what is very productive to be done on your own or at home with the ability to go and take a walk around the block if you need to, or go grab a, go pick up your kids or do, do whatever you have to do in your life that kind of makes that, that all elusive kind of work-life balance make sense to you. In terms of connecting the distributed team as well, there's day-to-day stuff that we do. So I check in with the team on Zoom once a week, one-on-one. We communicate via Slack for kind of the quick things. I The way that our teams work tends to mostly describe it as spokes in a wheel. So if you think about there's there's a central team, which is really kind of me, our marketing person and admin. And then you've got the individual CFOs that work very independently with clients. And they're all very experienced CFOs who are perfectly capable of handling client relationships as well as the client work. So I tend to not get as involved in that unless we're careful where we can lose the communication and knowledge sharing is between CFOs who may be having similar issues And of course, you're not breaking client confidentiality, but there are times when someone's come up against a similar issue that they've worked through and we share that knowledge. So having it very intentional and front of mind, I think is as important as the processes. I love the word intentional because I think that has been absent. I find it specifically in things around culture and companies that have said, oh, we need to be in the office to have, make sure we have a culture. And I find that is because the culture is built around a social scenario, which really, for me, is part of, but isn't the culture. And when you're intentional about your culture and when, as in your model, where you've got a hybrid team in Sydney and offshore and you want to build a collaborative team 
collectively, you have to be far more intentional with the things you do and how you communicate because you can't take for granted the fact that, oh, I'll see Mary at the water cooler tomorrow and I'll ask her about that. You have to take the time to think about it, which is harder and may take longer, but the end result is far stronger, I believe. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think anything that might makes you ask why are we doing this is really helpful longer term. And I think also in terms of team relationships, someone was just asking me the other day, like, why are we doing that? What is that person's role? Or why are we still this kind? And those are really helpful conversations as well. Because I think it's really important to have your team challenge your thinking, because no one's doing this on their own. And it certainly would be a poorer business if you were. That also cultivating that culture of people just saying, why are we doing it? I know we've done it this way for a while, but why? Because things change. um, Consistently asking why. I think our team is just more used to that because that's what we're doing with our clients a lot of the time, right? We're forever asking them, why are you doing it this way? Particularly if we are working with in-house finance teams or even a distributed network of finance support people, whether they're outsourced bookkeepers or your tax agent, and asking them why and connecting these people within this kind of distributed team. Because it's when we talk about distributed teams, you're not just talking about your own individual team, particularly when you're working in a consulting or fractional role. Invariably, you're also trying to bring together different strands of support within the client company across different partnerships and relationships, as well as with you and with your team. When managing any team, But again, I think in a distributed model, the challenges are amplified. Trust and accountability are really critical to be an effective team. Can you share your approach to building trust and accountability within your team so that they are comfortable sharing challenges and being vulnerable with each other, especially in an environment where they don't actually get to see each other and work with each other on a regular basis? It starts with your recruitment process and it starts with recruiting the right people in because it's not always what you as a leader of the business or a leader within the business is doing. It's a two-way street. So you have to be hiring the right people into the business that are going to value the trust and accountability as well. I think for me, it's just having constant conversations that are genuine and vulnerable, such an overused term at the moment, just walking the walk in terms of you're not always right and you would like to hear differing views diversity of thought within your team is diversity of ways in approaching problems we all deal with founders within our business all the time and they are quite a particular breed of person to actually go and start a business I've got to acknowledge that I'm that person as well because I went out and started my own business because I'm quite driven from that perspective and just go gung-ho on some things. I need to my team members to go, hang on, why are you doing that? What have you gone and sold again that we haven't quite done yet? What particular plane are we building whilst we're flying at this time? Accountability for me as well as within my team is really good. I don't think you can build that without having the right people there and continually fostering that relationship and that that environment. Yeah, I completely agree. As you said earlier, getting the right people on the bus in the right seat is the most important part of the strategic direction of a business. 
Mm -hmm. Just to go a little bit further into that, you talked about it all starts with recruitment, and mm -hmm. I agree it does. How do you approach your recruitment? And maybe talk us a little bit about through the last person you recruited as a consultant. How do you manage it? Is it an interview process? Do you have different strategies for the different interviews, that sort of thing? I don't recruit when I need a role. I'm always recruiting. So I'm always having conversations with people that are maybe currently in a job, maybe starting to do some consulting, someone that talked to a friend who had a friend that is starting to explore this sort of fractional world or consulting world. I am generally talking to people about potentially coming to work with me without setting up false expectations of this is going to be next week or next month. Just exploring whether I think a this is a working relationship that could work. So I'm very often talking to people for six months before they come and do any sort of work with me. The last permanent employee I brought on board, it was the theme of her post that kind of surfaced it on my feed. She was having a little bit of a rant, quite a bit of a rant, about how short-sighted a lot of corporates are about part-time workers and the value of part-time workers. I messaged her and said, you're totally right. It's not just you. I remember how that felt as I was leaving corporate and so frustrated, didn't understand why I couldn't give the value that I wanted to give in a company that I loved, but weren't set up to do it. We were talking, I think, for about six months before I brought her on as a permanent part-time person. My team are often introducing me to people that they think would be a good fit within the team. So another one of my CFOs, she was introduced to me by a contract CFO that I had worked with on and off for a number of years. Their friends, she had been talking to me about this woman, Kath, for a while. And I think she'd been talking to Kath about me. And so we'd been aware of each other for a couple of years before we started working together. If you think about a traditional recruitment process, you'll put a job spec out there, you'll get hopefully a whole bunch of CVs, maybe 25% of them would be good. Then you'll talk to maybe five, 10 absolute maximum. And that's what, an hour long conversation. Then you talk to them again for another hour or a week later. And then you have to make a decision as to whether that person is going to come into your business, represent you, work with your clients, hats off to the people that can do it. I find that nigh on impossible. So I find that always on recruitment process really works for us. I try to have the same approach. I have a list of people that I've met that I think could do different jobs or roles or projects that I liked. And often the approach isn't specific skills to do a marketing job. It's do they have the same values? Do they believe what I believe? Yeah. Do they behave in the same way that I think we want our people to behave that demonstrate how we think and what we believe in? Yeah. Just to do a fairly hard left turn, <laughs> I'm sure it hasn't been smooth sailing over the last 12 years. I'm sure there's been a number of bumps and challenges, etc. Could you tell us a little bit about one of the challenges that comes to top of mind for you that you've had to face and how you've managed to change the business or how that challenge has impacted the business to drive a positive outcome in the end? When I started the business 12 years ago, I was utterly burnt out, so spent in corporate life. I was doing silly hours, taking on more and more responsibility, 
more and more unreasonable tasks. My fault, I just kept saying yes to stuff and saying, no, we can do it. The pats on the head and the, hey, you did that really well. I absolutely burnt myself to a complete crisp as a result. I left with a very vague idea of what this business that I thought could be called Lantern Partners would was and could be. That carried on for a few years, but I didn't fix any of the real fundamental issues. And by the real fundamental issues, I mean me. <laughs> and I carried on within my business in a very similar fashion to how I'd operated in corporate. As I brought on more people into the business, and as I took on more billable work as well, I managed to do it to myself again and completely fried myself a couple of years ago to the extent that I really had to take a bit of a long, hard look at how I was operating in life and also realizing the impact that was having on my business. Around that time, I started working with a business coach for the first time in the history of the business. She has a very holistic view of life and business, which I now am a very firm believer in as I don't understand how there would be any other way. I now talk a lot within the business and with founders and also with new consultants about how fundamentally important it is to manage your own energy within the business and to make sure that you have enough energy to do right by the business and you are serving nobody by running yourself into the ground, particularly when you have a team who is relying on you to pay their mortgage, pay their rent, feed their family, do all that kind of stuff, that it's no longer just about me. If I need to go and fall in a heap for a few months, I can. Actually, I can't anymore because there are not only clients, but there's a team relying on me. That is a constant work in progress. I do feel quite confident now that won't happen again because it can't. I completely agree with everything you said there. And in fact, my next question, which you've already delved into, is around building the mental muscle to be resilient every day. Because I don't think there is anything much more challenging than running a small business as a business owner. Every day, there's going to be something that you need to just let that punch yeah. off you so that you can keep going yeah. you talked about a balanced life and, and being living that resilient life are there things that you do every day or every week to remain resilient and to keep focused on being able to get up the next day and as you say support your team and your clients it changes I got back into yoga for the first time and I used to do it a lot kind of years ago got back into it just before the end of last year and that's been, it sounds like a cliche, but it's been very grounding and centering to get back into a practice. You don't need to become some sort of yogi or write affirmations every day or do gratitude journals or what, whatever it is that floats your boat. For me, for me, actually making sure that I have time to spend with broadening my support network, my family, my friends, they really replenish my energy and I know for everyone it's different some people might just need time on their own some people might need to go for a run I think when you're thinking about that balance and how you refill your cup I think it's really important to know that it's not the same for everyone and what is going to refill your cup might deplete somebody else's I was at a lunch the other day with someone who's 
filling a cup was going for a 50k run. I can tell you that would not fill my cup. That would break me. <laughs> it's got to be your thing. And I think it's that's really important. I agree. I do a number of things, but one of them is I walk every morning and every evening with my dog. It was only recently that I realized how much that is, as you say, filling my cup for me. And you're right. It's about identifying one thing that you can do for yourself that helps you re-energize. Taking that again a little bit deeper, do you take that message to your team? And if you do, how do you help them remain that balance? Because we can all fall prey to the ongoing demands, especially where in a relationship with a client that the client says, do this, and you go, sure. I have this conversation with my team. We had one offsite and we had someone come in to talk about efficiency and getting organized and making sure that you were able to get to all the things you get to. But part of that is obviously having boundaries around what you say yes or no to. All of my team work part-time and it's generally distributed across the week, but there are some days where they just don't work or they're not supposed to work. And during the course of the session, one of my team was saying she's finding that she's constantly getting called by clients on Friday, which is her day off. We unpacked that a little bit in the session. I was like, so what do you say to them when they call you or they email you? And she's like, oh, it's it's generally something that really needs to get done. So I'll just do it. But then the other day, They called me, they said they wanted to talk to me on Friday. So I kept half a day free and then they never even called me. And we were like, okay, no, that client, you say no to, you put your out of office on on Friday. She hadn't put her out of office on. You have in your signature the days that you work. And of course they are going to keep calling you if you keep picking up and doing it. And yes, okay, one day there may be a building burning down and we actually need to do it. But I can guarantee you a building's not burning down every Friday. And if it is, there's probably something else that we need to fix within the business to stop that happening. Giving her the confidence and the freedom to be able to say no is really important. I had a conversation with someone else earlier this week where they've got two quite demanding clients who have very similar deadlines. And over the last couple of months, she's I can tell by the conversations I've been having with her and it's starting to wear her down a little bit. The conversation I had with her the other day was that we can move you off one of those clients if this isn't sustainable and each both of those clients, what tends to happen with a lot of clients will start on a certain retainer, but then they'll need more and more over time because the business will get bigger, it'll get busier. And so the need for support grows. But that also means our resourcing sometimes needs to change. And a lot of our clients, we're with them for, I say anything from six months to five years, but the sweet spot's probably around three. So it's not always possible to keep the same CFO on. We try to, but if both of those clients are raising their needs and their workflows at the same time with the same CFO, something's got to give. Just talking through, hey, this is an outcome that's, possible and okay and we can figure that out and we can have that conversation with the client because again if we break you and you just can't do it anymore that is not going to be serving the client either this way that we're trying to handle it at the moment isn't going to work long term and helping my team in the same way that I've tried to help myself is something that I really hope I am doing look that's great a lot of that is just helping them have the difficult conversation with their client by you having a difficult conversation with them and giving them a method and an approach to do that. Because I have no doubt that any client that you spoke to and you explained to them 
why we're not working on Friday. And yes, if it's urgent, you can, but the principle is this. I'll easily accept it. But often Mm. we find ourselves in this corner because we've painted ourselves into it rather than we've set the expectation correctly. Yeah, yeah. And we have quite frankly imagined a conversation which may not be the way the conversation goes. Correct. Oh, don't get me started on the stories we tell ourselves about what is going to happen when we tell the client I'm not available on Friday. The world is going to fall apart. Yeah. And, and nine times out of ten, it doesn't. Exactly, exactly. Correct. Just to go again in a slightly different direction, yeah. and again, focusing bigger picture on Lantern Partners, a great strategy is focused on the most impactful activities. And our experience has shown that at any point, a company can really only effectively work on a finite number of key priorities, typically three or four. Can you talk about one or two of your current strategic initiatives and the decision process you use to determine those priorities? I should make this sound like I'm really organized because I make my clients be really organized on this. (laughs) I think for me, the biggest priority at the moment is helping me scale the business out of its awkward adolescence, which is what we help a lot of our clients do. It is harder to do on yourself. I heard this great quote from a business consultant that's in my network and I was bemoaning the fact that I wasn't going as quickly with this and I wasn't getting as much traction with this as I wanted. And she just looked at me and went, because you can't tickle yourself. I was like, that's a brilliant analogy. (laughs) So I'm having trouble tickling myself out of this awkward adolescence. One of the things that I have realized through is getting the right support to help me do it quickly and effectively has been really important. And scaling the business through that is my absolute key priority right now, because it's going to pay off in so many medium and long term ways for the business. Putting those structures and processes around what is it that we do and how do we do it? And how do we really easily articulate that to our prospective clients and out to the market? The second one, which is never a second one, really, is just the recruiting of the right people into the business it falls out of the processes and the how we do things and why we do it but also as the business grows making sure that we've got the right pipeline of both clients and people I'm a big believer in defining that ideal client really well and really tightly is hugely beneficial to any business we used to be 100% almost first degree of separation referrals the business is now growing to a point where It's still very referral driven, but probably more two or third degree referrals now. And then people that have come to us just because they have heard of our work, which is wonderful. But that means that the ideal client framework for us isn't as intuitive as it always was. It tended to be that the people that came to us were invariably our ideal client because they were such a close referral. And now because our reach has broadened, which is a brilliant thing, I have to be a lot more specific and again, intentional about who we say yes to and who we say no to. So that's a big priority for me as the business is growing. And then recruiting, making sure that we have the right people. And in terms of making sure that I'm identifying the priorities and keeping myself accountable, again, it goes back to the process. Do you have a quarterly planning process? which I now do, which I never really used to formalize before, but I now have got that in a formalized way. And I keep myself accountable 
by having other people keep me accountable. Because it's very difficult to just keep yourself accountable because you make all sorts of excuses to yourself. <laughs> Correct. Near impossible. <laughs> just to jump back a little bit on the clients and as you grow, I think I would counsel you from a marketing perspective that as you grow and you're working to new clients are coming to you or prospects are coming to you, the tighter you are rather than the broader you are on your or ideal customer, the better you are. Because yeah. as consultants, the way to get better work is to get better clients and yeah. have fewer clients doing better work yeah. is a far more sustainable approach than having saying yes to everything and hoping we can service it appropriately. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Michelle, that was my final question. So first of all, thank you for allowing me to dive into your approach to your business, because as I said, there are lots of similarities and it's good to hear from another person how they're managing theirs. I really thank you for your time today and wish you all the best and look forward to seeing Land and Partners grow at a measurable pace that you can manage. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's been lovely chatting today. Thanks for having me. Great. Thank you.